Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Getting In, a college coach conversation. So we're recording this today on the other side of December 1st, and a lot of deadlines have already passed. You'll be listening to this episode right around December 10th. We hit the center of the month, and really, I think, the probably the most active period in terms of the application process. So we're excited to be able to help you with new topics and you know, new ways of understanding how you're going to approach your application today. Uh, but we also know that you're probably waiting for decisions from some of those early schools. And that's why we're going to talk in our second segment today about what to do if you get a deferral. And you may also be thinking about some elements of how to pay for college. In our third segment, we'll be talking about scholarship money and how to continue to ensure that you're making the most out of opportunities to finance your education. But for those of you students who are still working on some of those regular decision applications, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, We want to talk about the supplemental essay topics for a couple of really popular schools down in the southeastern part of the United States. Uh, And in order to do that, we're going to welcome my colleague, Christine Kenyon, who used to be a resident of the southeastern part of the United States. Uh, Christine, hey, welcome to the show. Hi, Ian. Thank you. Glad to have you here. So we're talking about, I I guess I could say the name of the schools. Uh, I've left everybody in suspense here. We've already talked about Georgia Tech and we've talked about the University of Georgia. Today, we're going to talk about Elon, which is in North Carolina, and we're going to talk about the University of Miami, which is in Miami. Now, uh, CK, I don't know, do you have a preference over which of the two of these essays you want to start with, or I'll let you choose? Ooh, let's start with Elon, just because the thought of North Carolina right now, the weather is probably really beautiful there. Love it. Okay. That is a perfect reason to start with Elon. So Elon has two different writing assignments. Um, Let's start with the second, the actual essay. So the short prompt that they give you here, and I love that this is so short. As you look into the future, what gives you hope? It's a 250-word maximum essay, which is quite a short essay, um, fairly typical for these supplemental pieces. How would you encourage students to approach this piece, given it is so short, and you know, given that it, it doesn't have a lot of wiggle room? It's really, you know, it's, it's open-ended in many, many kinds of ways. What do you think? I think this is a prime example of giving, of, of students giving one example of an experience they've had that has brought them joy that has made them hopeful over the past couple months, past years through high school. I wonder if Elon changed this supplemental question this summer, you know, with the onset of COVID and and everything that's been going on to just sort of hear what students are thinking for the future, you know, as as we navigate such a different time in in our world, what makes you hopeful for the future? Um, And I think they really just want you to answer authentically and to Mm -hmm. give one specific example of something that has made you hopeful to show how that hope will continue into the future. So, so one of the things that we often talk about with every essay is that we want them to be an inch wide and a mile deep and that you're really sort of missing an opportunity. If you try and cram a lot of different content into a sh- an essay, especially a short essay where it's a mile wide and only an inch deep, you touch on this, you touch on that, but you don't get to explore anything in detail. And so you're picking up that same kind of advice here. Find one thing. What is one thing that gives you hope? Uh, as you look to the future. Now, as you were sort of thinking about how you advise a student to address that prompt, you actually said something from a student's experience or maybe something that they've already had happen to them in the past that then can be connected to the future. And I think that's kind of interesting because I think most students would say, all right, I'm just going to look ahead. I'm not going to look back at all. But there is some sense in which you're saying, well, grab from your own experiences. Why, why is that? I think in college essays, it makes it much more memorable for the reader when you give a specific example. So if I say kindness is really important to me, and I've been really moved, um, I'm really moved and hopeful in the future for the kindness I see in young people today. Very nice sentiment, very nice statement. 
but you may forget it as you start reading the next essay or the 40th essay of the day or the hundredth essay of the week or whatever it might be. Sure. So I think if you give a specific example where you say, I was having a really low day and I had to go to the grocery store and buy milk and I was just not feeling great about it. And I put on my mask and I tripped as I was walking in and someone bent over and picked up my wallet and, and asked if I was okay from six feet away. And that made me, that lifted me up a little bit. That story will probably stick with you a little bit longer in your mind um, as you continue reading this application or move on to others. And so I think that's where you want to connect past experiences you've had to illustrate the type of hope you hope for in the future. Yeah, I see that. And I think what you are articulating is also a sense in which there are probably going to be a lot of similar kinds of answers to these questions. And so if you are talking about kindness of others, or if you are talking about sort of the respect that you see in your classmates and how that gives you hope for the future, you are um, saying things that are probably going to be parroted by other students of the thousands of other applicants who are applying to Elon. And so the way that you make it your own is by connecting it to an experience that you've had rather than just talking about that particular value um, or that particular experience. Now, it's very interesting because I've, uh, even as I am looking at this prompt and thinking about this prompt, it really does, I think at first you say, as you look into the future, you think about only looking forward, but the what gives you hope is dependent on an experience that came from the past. And I think it's fairly astute to think about it in that way. Now, when it comes to personal experiences that students have had, um, How do you recommend that they think about identifying those? Um, Is it about a relationship that's really close? Uh, How would you choose sort of something? Is it a particular event? Is it a series of events? What makes for really great content here? Maybe it's a know it when you see it kind of thing. I don't know. Uh, Yeah, I think it has to be specific, right? Like going along with the themes of an inch wide and a mile deep. I think it has to be one thing because you don't have space to talk about four different experiences over time that changed. It has to be kind of like a snapshot, almost like if you could send um, a picture in with your application of something hopeful. Uh, You know, Polaroids were big back in the day. (laughs) You and I were were growing up. And I think maybe they're making a comeback now. But um, if you had one Polaroid to attach to your application to show like something giving you hope, maybe it's a photo of you um, Skyping with your grandparent. Maybe it's a photo of you Uh, kicking a ball into a soccer net over the summer. Um, I think that's what you want to think of as a snapshot of a hopeful experience or something that gives you hope as you think about the future. Now, I think that that's, I think that's right. And, and, you know, in this case, it might even not be an an inch wide and a mile deep, but maybe only a half a mile deep or a quarter mile deep because you have only 250 words. (laughs) Um, But all the examples that you are using are very local, right? So it's very connected to the individual and the individual's experience. And I think that there might be an instinct for some students to say, as I look to the future, what gives me hope is young activists who are focused on the climate or um, the number of people who turned out to vote this year, right? And that sort of is a commentary on a bigger movement or perspective outside of where that student is. How do you think about sort of choosing between something that is very, very close to you versus something that's happening on a more macro level? Is there a right or a wrong there? I don't think there's a right or a wrong. I think both are equally valid and it's entirely dependent on how passionately a student feels about this. Um, Because you're right, there there have been so many things that we could reflect upon this year that are bigger than ourselves and our local Mm -hmm. community um, that give me hope, certainly. Uh, But I think you have to connect it back to you personally. So the issue becomes why. So if yeah. if it gave you hope to see how many people voted in the election, why? Was it because it was the first time you were able to vote and you felt really connected and excited about casting your first vote? Is it because your birthday was two weeks later and you were so devastated that you could not vote in this election and you've become really interested and, and activism has become a part of your, your life? I think the why and the explanation is what's important and that leads itself to the specific example. Right. Right. That comes back to you when you get to that why. Um, and again, that, that sort of ties into this idea that lots of people might say they are motivated or hopeful about the turnout in the election, but then bringing it back to why that matters to you really is what helps us to understand who you are in this context. All right. For one very short, one, two, three, four, five, six, 
There are 10 words in that prompt. I think we've done enough uh, on that one. Let's turn to the other one. I love this, this short prompt that Elon has. They basically have three questions. They say, don't think hard, think fast. The maximum answer is two sentences per question. And so they're just asking, what brings you joy? Second question is, we're in your hometown. Where should we eat and what should we order? And the third question is, name three songs from your perfect playlist. So how do you approach this? Do you really take their advice and think hard or think fast rather than thinking hard? Is there a strategic element to this? Um, Or is it just whatever my initial reaction is, that's what I'm putting in there? I think that you do want to think fast. You always want to give a second glance over any college, any piece of writing you submit to a college to make sure, you know, that it's appropriate in nature. That's right. Um, and, and given that you don't know who, who will be reading it. But I think this is a really great example of what's important to Elon as a community. And I think what's really interesting is that these think fast questions and the longer, longer, 250 word one. I think they lend themselves to community-based conversations. Yeah. They're not academically focused. They're not asking about, you know, the class that you've struggled in and whatever the case may be. I think this is just truly them wanting to get to know you and have some fun in this process. Many admission counselors um, are fresh out of college themselves. Some of them will have worked at that institution and then work in the admissions office. There are people like you and me who get into this profession because you enjoy and you believe in education. You want to, to spread access of higher education towards everyone, you know? Yeah. And so I think this is just an example of the admission counselors wanting the students to have a little bit of fun. I, you know, the college admission process is stressful. I think Elon is trying to show their personality that their school is a place where you can have fun and be studious at the same time. Um, and I think this just provides a, an element of fun, an element of further personality. Um, to the application. Yeah. And we've often sort of poked fun at some of the schools that will, um, they'll have essay prompts that are like, don't worry, like, just tell us something that you don't think Matt. And it's like, it's no pressure, but it's immediately feels like there's pressure. And I think what's great about these is that there really is very low pressure on these. They are just trying to learn a little bit about who you are. And I think that there's some of just the, the fun elements of these comes out. Uh, in that respect. Um, One recommendation that I would make for students is you're tackling this, write multiple different answers for each question. So, and see what comes best. I mean, the, the, what brings you joy, you might say your family, which is great, but there are going to be a lot of people that are going to say my family brings me joy in that first sentence. So maybe it's your second or your third option that does a little bit more to differentiate you from the pack. And so give yourself a few goes at um, answering these three questions. Uh, It's only two sentences, so it's not going to be a lot of extra work. And I think you also want to keep in mind that any opportunity to write additional responses in a college application, you should write about something different. So if what brings you joy is your family, uh, three songs from your perfect playlist shouldn't be songs that your family wrote and produced and recorded. (laughs) And your 250 word prompt shouldn't be what gives you hope for the future is your family, family. right? So you want to differentiate and make sure that each thing you write about highlights a different aspect of yourself and lets the reader know a little bit more about you. That's a great, great reminder to use all the pieces of the application to talk about different sides of yourself rather than shining a light brighter on the same thing over and over again. Uh, all right, let's turn to the University of Miami. Now, they had historically not had an essay prompt. And I think this is the first year that they've had so. it in a while. Yeah. yeah. So I, I remember seeing this on the schedule for the podcast. And I was like, why are we doing University of Miami? That makes no sense. And I went and looked it up. I don't have any students applying there this year. And then discovered, oh, wow, they do have an essay prompt. So um, it's kind of different from Elon in that there is a longer preamble. And some of these questions, you will get a preamble. Uh, And they're talking about their mascot being the ibis and the ibis being this bird that emerges at first after a hurricane hits. And the question is, considering your ability to control your own motivation and behavior, how have past experiences helped you build your courage and resilience to persist in the face of academic and life challenges? so that once storms pass, you can emerge in continued pursuit of your goals. It's a lot there. How do you start to break down a prompt that has so much text to it into the specific question that's being asked? Yeah, that's a good one. I think this is a good case of kind of talking through an essay prompt before you sit down to write and really kind of thinking through it. I do think the intro about the IBIS is just to give you background. I don't know if anybody who 
doesn't live in South Florida or is familiar with hurricanes would know about the Ibis. And so I think it's, it's a really vivid example and it's, it's like so cool that they, um, they use this explanation. Um, but what I would hone in on is, okay, courage and resilience. That's what stands out to me in in that first part. Right. And then in the second part, I think they're just, they're trying not to make students, um, overthink this or be too nervous about it when they say, considering your ability to control your own motivation and behavior, right? So Mm -hmm. they understand you can't control all the things happening, you know, in the world and that's okay. They just want to know what's a past experience that helped you build your courage and resilience. And I'd stop there and I'd start thinking about that first. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a great way of, of breaking this thing down. It's really interesting because I always say that you know, colleges like to use a preamble to help teach students a little bit about what they're going to get if they come to that school. And it's strange for Miami to remind students that hurricanes come through Florida. It's like, just so you know, this is a place where putting that aside, I, I think you're right. And I think one of the traps of this essay prompt, and I hear it a lot from students when they're writing their personal essay is I don't have a big obstacle I've overcome. Like I haven't had these enormous tragedies in my life. And I think that a lot of students who are applying to Miami might be in that same position when they look at this prompt. It's like, okay, well, I figured out how to write my personal essay, but now I'm being very explicitly asked about past experiences that have shaped or built my courage and resilience. And I I think, you know, this isn't necessarily saying, what are the big obstacles that you've overcome? Or tell us about something that went really badly in your life. We all experience academic and life challenges, and they can happen on a small scale. They can happen on a larger scale. It's often outside of our control. I love that you're sort of pointing to courage and resilience as being the things to pay attention to rather than academic and life challenges, right? So we're thinking more about the positive values that come out of it rather than you know, the negative experiences that may have created those values. Yes. Uh, what, what other thoughts to share? Is there any, I mean, I would love to say that Miami is looking for a particular kind of thing in their prompts, but this is the first year they've had it in a really long time. And so it's, it's quite unusual for them to have an essay to begin with. Is there anything else that you might sort of encourage students to do with respect to this essay? Uh, Does it to you feel like ultimately somewhat of a conventional question, even given the sort of unusual nature of the preamble of the prompt? Yes, I think for this year, I think we've seen a lot of schools kind of shift some of their personal statements this year um, to be a little bit more thoughtful in terms of the world we're living in. And so what I would say is um, think about courage and resilience and note that UM says in the face of academic and life challenges, I think it can be either or you have 250 words. Don't try and talk about both an academic and a life challenge that you face and, and don't feel as though it has to be something huge and substantial. Um, it can be the story of, you know, an experience you had in passing at your job, you know, in dealing with COVID-19 and quarantine, you know, whatever the case may be. I think they're just trying to get to know who has grit in this applicant pool and who is going to be able to weather the ups and downs of the college experience that typically happens in an average year and then throw in a global pandemic. And, you know, let's, let's see how things go. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> And, and, you know, ultimately it's about, it's about you. It comes back to that individual, as you're saying. So um, we've had this major shared experience as a collective society, as a globe, right? With the pandemic. Um, But also bring it back to you. That courage and resilience is, I think, how you personalize and individualize your response. Um, All right, CK. I think uh, that about covers it for these two. Hopefully that's helpful for you listeners that are applying to those schools. Uh, But Christine, I want to thank you for coming on the show and talking through this stuff with us. Thank you, Ian. When we come back, we're going to talk about what to do if you are deferred. And uh, we'll have some great tips for you. So don't go away. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. 
When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. And before we get to our next segment, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping. We love, love, love getting reviews on our podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. If you have an opportunity to leave us a review, we would love to see those reviews, especially the ones that are five stars. Five-star reviews are great. You can talk about your favorite host on the show, even if it's Sally or Beth and not me. It's not like we go through those reviews and actually compare notes and see who the favorite host is. Uh, But if you have a chance to go ahead and leave us a review, we very much appreciate it. It helps more people to find this podcast, which ultimately means that there is more good information about college admission out there. And so you don't have to go and convince your neighbor that what she read on College Confidential isn't actually true. Now, speaking of topics that often come to College Confidential, we're going to talk about what happens when you are deferred. So you can apply early decision or early action to schools. And one of the more common outcomes, I think which students are not necessarily expecting, is a deferral. And to help us talk through that deferral for today is my colleague in Nevada, Joy Biscornet. Hey, Joy, welcome to the show. Hey, Ian. It's good to be here today. Glad to have you here. We're going to do some myth busting so that the people don't go to College Confidential. Are you okay with that? I'm totally okay with that. In fact, when I was preparing, gathering my thoughts for this uh, conversation, College Confidential popped into my mind and I thought, I don't want students going there. So let's bust bust some myths. Bust some myths. <laughs> Here, we're going to bust some myths. Okay. So, so a deferral, right? Let's just like, there are basic options. A lot of students think that if you apply early to a school, there are two outcomes. You get in or you don't. And that's true. But the you don't get in actually has two different possibilities. You want to talk through those for, for the family just as a providing a definition? Sure. So when a student applies early, um, there are those two main decisions. Either you get in or you don't get in. But within the you, get, uh, you don't get in, there's sort of this subcategory that you could be denied. And that's the final decision or you could actually be deferred. And what this means is that the uh, admission committee reviewed your application. And while they determined that you weren't competitive for admission in the early round, they want to be able to reevaluate your application within the context of the larger applicant pool. They're not ready to make that final decision. So they roll your application over into the larger regular decision pool with that decision of defer. They're deferring the decision. And then they'll make that decision when they're making all of the other regular decision decisions. Right. Um, When that and that um, that decision will come out somewhere between mid-March and April 1 for the most part. It reminds me of, I don't know if it was like an old bar game or just a, a parlor game, but like there was a computer and it would show you like a picture of something. It would just show you like a little detail and then it would add a little bit more of the picture and a little bit more of the picture. And you'd have to identify what the picture was 
as early as possible. Mm-hmm. And basically what these schools are saying is that we don't have enough of the picture. We need more time. And that might mean that they need more information from you specifically, which could be your fall grades. It could be uh, more information about an extracurricular activity that needs to play itself out like a competition, or it might mean that they need more information about the larger pool. They need to just see how strong the overall applicant pool is to see how you fit within it. Um, Now, I want to talk just briefly about how students should feel about being deferred. Um, I think sometimes a deferral can be good news. Sometimes a deferral can be no news at all, you know, depending on the schools that we're talking about. So for a student who gets deferred, they're obviously going to be disappointed. It's not getting in. Um, But where should a student sort of be optimistic or continue to be hopeful? And where should a student sort of say, you know, deferral doesn't really give me any more information than I would otherwise have here. Mm -hmm. So for some schools, particularly, I would say large public universities, um, getting deferred could be, I'll say it's not a bad thing necessarily, Mm -hmm. because for many of those uh, schools, they want to see if you're really interested, if, if you will, because for many public institutions, they're receiving applications from students that are in-state residents. They might be seeing students from out of state. Regardless, they might be seeing students who look really strong in their applicant pool, and they might be thinking, well, maybe the student is applying elsewhere, and we might not be a top choice. So they're actually deferring the applicant to get a sense of how realistic or how how true this application really is. So, and for many of those schools, they'll take a a pretty good portion of those students that they deferred in the regular decision uh, process. That's right. And what it comes down to is that colleges don't want to admit a lot of students that are not ultimately going to take them up on the offer because it will artificially inflate their admit rates and it'll make their yield rate go down. And so when you're looking at measures of quality, and then, you know, it doesn't, I wish it didn't have to be this way, but when we're talking about institutional quality, the m- larger percentage of students you admit, the more people say, well, that's not as good as school. So uh, enrollment managers will often make choices that will allow them to keep that admit rate low. And for some schools, like the ones Joy's describing, that might mean that really talented students that might not be serious about a school are getting deferred rather than being admitted through this early action option. Now, there are other times where, or to piggyback off of your point, the more selective the school is, the less likely they may be to take students from that um, deferred pool. So it's, it's not a, it, it's not a final decision, but I think it's a great time if you're deferred um, to reevaluate your list and see um, is it balanced? Because if this defer does not lead to an eventual admit, then you need to make sure that you have other options, realistic options um, for your regular decision applications. Right. And if you're working with college coach or you're listening to your college counselor, you hopefully had planned for this many months in advance before hearing back from the schools, but there can be opportunities where you were really hoping about that early decision offer. You were waiting a little bit to apply to some other schools. And so that deferral might change how you're thinking about your process, right? So if you get deferred at, well, let's pick a a fairly selective school that is, uh, you know, still pretty good. Let's say um, Northwestern defers you. Okay probably in regular decision, you don't want to be adding Ivy League schools to your application list. Because if you've been deferred by Northwestern, you're probably not going to be competitive for Harvard, Yale, Princeton. That's not in all possible worlds. But I think that in the vast majority of cases, we would say that students that would be deferred at Northwestern are not going to be competitive for admission to schools that are more selective. And so you could change your approach in that way. Right. And if you've noticed for some reason your list is a little top heavy and that deferral from Northwestern kind of has maybe caught you a bit off guard, then there is still time to reevaluate your list and maybe add one or two no problem or maybe just right schools where 
especially you know that you're in the top percentage of their applicant pool. That's right. Now, there are cases where you get a defer from a school and maybe it doesn't surprise you. So you applied early decision to Northwestern, let's say, and you know that that's going to be the toughest school for you to get into from all the schools on your list and you get deferred. And that's something that you were probably expecting or bracing for. Mm -hmm. You don't have to assume that because of that, now all of your no problem and your just right schools are less likely to be interested in you. So understand how this early school kind of fits within the landscape of your entire list Don't take every deferred decision as an indication that there is something wrong with your application. It could just be that it has something to do with the applicant pool or that particular school's way of approaching admission for that year. Right. This is not a time to panic and and say, well, I got deferred from this school, so I'm not getting in anywhere now. That's that's not the place where your mind should go. Um, Take this as one decision in your process, let yourself sit with it and then move forward because there are things that you can still do for regular decision um, to show your interest and to strengthen your application potentially for when it's re-evaluated in the context of the larger pool. Yeah. And I want to talk about that um, for, a, for a couple of minutes. But before I do that, I just for any students who are listening to this who are juniors right now, you know, I know we've got a lot of senior listeners who might be working on their essays or they're waiting for these decisions to come back. Juniors and parents of juniors, you might be looking ahead to next year. And one thing that I just want to throw in here is that I've seen students who will scramble to try and get just that early decision application in or just an early action application to a top choice And we'll forego the opportunity to apply early action to some schools that might be target schools or safety schools for them because they say, well, those schools aren't as important to me. I'm going to go ahead and apply regular decision and not worry about the early action deadlines. And I think that when you are in the middle of December and you have no information and you hear back only from one or two of the most selective schools on your list that you've been deferred, boy, it'd be really nice if a couple of other schools had offered you admission from that early action round, just so you've got a couple of schools that you can count on later on in the spring. So as you're planning out your lists and thinking about this approach, apply to schools that offer early action, if at all possible. And if you're a junior, you've got 11 months to get your your acting gear so that you can do that. So there's no excuses. I think make sure that if you can do early action at a variety of schools, try and go ahead and do that. And I am a huge fan of early action um, for uh, just right, no problem schools, because it's really, it's really exciting and uplifting to get that first offer of admission in in December and really have that in your back pocket. I see students' shoulders drop once they know that they have a place to go. might not be your first choice. That's fine. But you, you know that you're going to college. You're going to college. That's right. <laughs> and yeah. that's the ultimate goal, to go to college um, and in this process. And it also can be very motivating to, to, have you, to get you through the rest of those applications. That's right. Um, so if you, if you get that, take that boost of excitement from a, a, a congratulations when you open that email or letter that comes through snail mail, the momentum that you've had right, uh, creating your applications, can that boost can see you through so you can get done well before um, regular decision deadlines if you need to submit those applications. That's right. That's why I love Arizona State, because they're a great university. And if you apply to them, you'll hear back within like three weeks. And so I'm telling all my students, just apply to ASU already, please. Like you're going to get in. It's going to be great. Um, Okay. So let's talk about what to do if you're deferred. Um, I think that the initial thought from students and more often from parents is I've got my deferred decision. I need to do something right now. Um, How should students and and parents sort of wrestle with that instinct? to want to do something immediately. Right. Uh, take a beat. You know, I, I understand the, I really want to go to the school. I have to let them know right now, what can I do? The best thing that you can do is just take a step back and process that decision, what it means. 
like we said, reevaluate your list, you know, clear your head, don't think about it for 24 hours, give you give yourself 24 hours, just to process the decision and before you act. But there, there, there is a, a sense of urgency in terms of when you do want to connect with the admission office. I think it's important to reach out to them because you do want to show your continued interest. So you, know, you might want to make a call to the admission officer who reviewed your application to say, was there anything missing from my application? Is there anything specific that you would like to see in the next, when you reevaluate my application? And most likely the, the admission officer will say, we really wanna see your mid-year grades because those are going to be the, that's going to be the factor that then contributes the most in, mm -hmm. in the reevaluation. That's right. And, you know, oh, sorry, go ahead. I, I was going to say that, you know, you can even shoot an email over to them uh, to ask that question. Um, you can also have your counselor reach out on your behalf. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that one thing to just keep in mind is what's happening on the other side of the desk right now, which is that I, I remember reading other decision applications and it was like a, a sprint to get those decisions out and then like a big gasp of getting ready to accept all the mail for the regular decision applications coming in. And so we really, for all those defers that we had, really put them on hold, put them aside for a yep. while. And we were going to come back to them in February and readdress them and look at new materials that had been submitted. But if you sent me a lot of stuff right away, I would probably file that away and forget about it for three months. So right. it's often better to wait multiple months uh, to reach back out. And I think we'll probably have a radio show segment on what to do in that scenario later on. Um, and I think when it, when it does come time to follow up, um, you can send an email uh, to express your continued interest, update the admission officer on any new information, whether you, know, you got involved in something since uh, you submitted your application, if um, you had taken standardized tests and you've taken uh, you've taken them again if you've had that opportunity and your scores have gone up and you want to submit those scores. Yeah. These are things that can um, that can wait. But you, I would say you want to make sure that you have any new information to the, um, to the admission committee by mid-February, late February at yeah. the latest. Because I think you're right. And, and some of... Some of the data-oriented stuff, I think you should send it as soon as it becomes available. If you've got mm -hmm. test scores, send those in. If you've got new grades, send those in. Mm -hmm. But I think the the sort of the letter, the love letter that we talk about, usually is written around Valentine's Day. It's a great way to remember it. Um, and that's where you sort of make your case about the continuing interest that you have in that institution. Yep. Um, any final thoughts that you wanted uh, the listeners to know? Um, knowing that probably we'll have a session on writing that letter a couple of months from now here on the radio show. Um, I would just say, you know, you've, you've come this far, um, get, ex get excited for um, the holidays. You're going to have a break from school yeah. and take any decision that you get in stride. Um, you're going to land on your feet and you're going to have options. That's a great, great way of putting it. Good place to leave it. And, and you know, for those of you, um, you've got listeners out there, if you're watching this on uh, video, you can also compare the color of the walls in my office and Joy's and see whether it's the same color purple or not. So maybe that's a little <laughs> teaser to go to our Facebook page, uh, find us at College Coach on Facebook and, and see whether you can see any differences between these two colors. I really want to stick my hand over into your frame, but I can't seem to do that. All right. Uh, when we come back, we'll be talking about scholarships. Joy, thanks for bearing with me and all of my silliness and for helping with the defer. It's great to have you here. Ian, it's always great to chat with you. And you are my favorite host. Yes. All right. Folks, don't go away. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. 
That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hey everyone, welcome back uh, to the show today. We've got we've had a great show so far. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, if you want to listen to some of our prior segments, you didn't get a chance to listen to those. You'll find out who Joy's favorite radio show host is. Uh, spoiler: It's the best one. Um, okay, <laughs> for our final segment today, we are talking about how you can ensure that scholarship and financial aid dollars keep coming your way, especially in this period where I think a lot of students and families will sort of say, "Well, the FAFSA is submitted." and my apps are in, and I don't have to do anything anymore. But we would say, well, you can actually keep working on uh, scholarship applications and keep trying to keep that money coming your way. And you know, coming to us to talk a little bit about how you can do that is my colleague, Lori Peltier, who's been on the show quite a few times. I won't ask your favorite host right now, <laughs> uh, but thanks for coming on the show and, and helping us talk through this. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Great. So we want to talk a little bit about what students should do for financial aid. And I think there's this sort of, maybe it's just an internal belief that I have, or maybe it's something that families actually believe, which is that you apply for aid before you go to school and that's it. Maybe you get some scholarships at the front end, maybe not. But once you have done that, your job is done and you move on to other things. Wouldn't that be a perfect world, right? Wouldn't it? But it sounds like there are things you have to do every year. That you, that you need to do. So what are some things that students need to do every year in order to make sure that that aid keeps flowing? So if it's financial aid based on the family's finances, they do need to fill out the FAFSA form every year. Even if the student's just taking the student loan, you do have to do the FAFSA form every year. A new one comes out every October 1st. Okay. There's two good points though. One is as a returning student, it's partially filled out. So a lot of the fields are already populated. Uh, Secondly, the deadline dates are pushed back. So it's not urgent, urgent. You don't have to have it done in October. You can wait until sometimes January, February, March to even do it. So every school has their own renewal deadline dates for upperclassmen. That's great. The other good... If we have some some fans of the show that have kept listening even after (laughs) their students have gotten into college, that's some great advice for you. You can go ahead and and look into that in the coming months. Go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. Well, the uh, CSS profile form is another application that students fill out for freshman year at a lot of the private schools, a lot of the the more expensive selective schools. So um, that is not always required by upperclassmen, but sometimes some schools do require it every year. So you may have to do both the FAFSA and the profile every year. And then any other requests from the financial aid office. And those requests from the aid office will be going to the student, not the parents. So the student has to check their email. And, and that's something that, that changes typically when you start college is now the communication really tends to come to the student. I think, is it right that billing still does go to the parent, but that other stuff come to the student or, or does everything go to the student? Everything goes to the student. Some schools will send a letter to the, um, the parent or guardian of such and such a student, <laughs> but they don't even have the parent's name half the time. So it's just going to the student. And this is the reason that I try and teach all of my students good and proper email etiquette and mm-hmm. remind them that even if they want to converse with me only by text message, it is important to learn how to email once you get to yeah. college. Um, now, what about scholarships, right? So you're talking about financial aid, which is based on these forms, the FAFSA, the CSS profile. Scholarships are often based on other factors, maybe athletics, mm-hmm. maybe test scores. Uh, what do you do to ensure that those are renewed every year if they are eligible to be? 
Right. Most of them are renewable. And that's the nice thing, because, again, you can kind of count on them every year that that money will be in place. But there are some caveats. There are some strings attached to those scholarships. Usually the student has to maintain full-time status, so you can't drop to part-time. Some of them will say that you have to live on campus. Some will say that you have to stay in the same major. So if you get an engineering scholarship, you can't switch to another major other than engineering. Um, and then the big one is, is grade point average. So I always use the example that I had in our family. When my son went to school, he had a small scholarship that had a 3.0 GPA requirement. The end of freshman year, a couple weeks go by, his grades come in, he has a 2.97. So he missed renewing his scholarship by point so three. That's so, so close. close. <laughs> so is he? He I hope paid you back all of that money. <laughs> Maybe we'll get him on the show uh, right. one week and right. ask him what happened there. Well, that, right. I mean, but that is important. I think that sometimes you know when you get to college, you're sort of acclimating, especially in that first year. You're getting a feel for expectations. I think if it is important that there are some scholarship dollars connected to your performance. You can have a conversation with a faculty member and say, what do I need to do to get a certain grade in this class? Look at those grading rubrics, right. figure out what their participation is. Those little things can actually make a difference in terms of right. funding. Um, and I think that's important for students to be aware of. Some of the more generous schools I've seen will wait until the end of sophomore year to evaluate the student's GPA. The end of freshman year is, is pretty tough. But... Um, or they will give you an appeal process or a um, probation period. So that's nice. what they did for my son is they gave him a probation period of a semester to bring his grades back up to the 3.0 to reinstate the scholarship. Which he certainly did because, yeah. No. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> no. So those of you who are watching the video might have seen a signal from Lori, but we'll just go on to the next question for the radio. What about scholarships from outside resources? Uh, you know, th there are those that are affiliated with the school, but then there are some that come from private organizations. Maybe it came from a high school, maybe come from online, from a, a search of scholarships.com. How do those get renewed every year? Those are a little tricky. A lot of the local scholarships that you might get through your high school um, are just one year. They're not renewable. They are only, you know, freshman year and that's it. Um, but some of them are, and you really have to check with the sponsor, who's sponsoring the scholarship and what do they require. Sometimes they'll require a transcript of your grades to make sure you're maintaining a, a certain GPA or a bill from the school that you're still enrolled. They don't want to just give you the money. They want to know what no. school you're at. Are you still maintaining good, satisfactory academic progress? And do you still owe the money? Some of them will require a thank you letter to the donor. They want to, you know, if it's an endowed scholarship where someone was generous enough to donate the money, they want to send that person a thank you letter from the student. Interesting. Which is not a whole lot to do um, for, for money that's coming your way. So, so definitely want to tick those boxes. That's really interesting. I, I never considered. Um, now, as an upperclassman, and I've hosted segments in the past where we've talked a little bit about this, is that you know because a lot of students think that scholarships really only are something they can get in their freshman year, that they will drop the ball and just say, okay, I'm in college now. It's going to cost what it's going to cost. What are some ways that upperclassmen can get more funding mm -hmm. support mm -hmm. uh, for their educations? So there are scholarships for upperclassmen, but they don't come from the admissions or the financial aid office. They come from the academic um, departments. So you would talk hmm. to your faculty. You would. So for example, when my son, I'll use him as an example, was going to school, he was a business major. And one of the schools he got accepted at, he didn't get a, a freshman year scholarship. He didn't get offered a scholarship as a freshman. Hmm. So I said, well, you know, what does this mean for the rest of the four years? But I went onto their website, went into their business um, department section of the website. And there was a long, long list of scholarships for upperclassmen in the business program. Hmm. So there are certain scholarships. A lot of them may, might require a certain GPA or a certain research project or, you know, a certain class that they had to take or a paper they had to write. Um, but there, there is money for upperclassmen, but you really kind of have to go and look for it. Don't be shy. Ask your chair of the department or a faculty member within the department that you're familiar with. Um, they are the resource for those. Is it a fair assumption that um, most students don't know about these things, that, they, that they'll sort of miss these opportunities? I mean, I feel like this stuff sort of flies under the radar a little bit when it comes to current students. I think um, this might be a blanket statement, but some students are removed from the financial aspect. Mom and dad are paying right. the bill. 
they're just doing their job, getting their grades <laughs> and, right. and, you know, learning. Um, so they don't have that push to go and ask. Um, maybe if this, I've heard of faculty members suggesting it to students, you know, but if the faculty doesn't know which students are struggling financially or which students are really looking for the money, how are they going to know who to talk to? Right. Which is not a common conversation that students are necessarily even having with faculty members. Right. I think a lot of students don't necessarily want to share if they're having some difficulty, but it is a good thing to be aware of and good thing to know as Mm -hmm. family members, um, have your students look into these kinds of things. Um, Now, in addition to the college-sponsored scholarships, there are also still private scholarships that are out there. Now, it feels like the majority of these are for students entering college for the first time, but uh, am I right in assuming that there might be some designated scholarship funds from private providers that are for upperclassmen exclusively? Yes. So some of them may be for students of any age or just for upperclassmen. So continue to search online. There are lots of search engines out there. There's new ones coming out every day. There's one called scholarships.com. Very easy to remember. Uh, it's one that yeah. I use. Um, it, it's a pretty good search engine. And they're all free of charge. You just set up an account and just continue to search. So as you ch- <clears throat> change your major or your GPA improves, go back and search again. A lot of these will be based now on how are you performing in college and not what did you do in high school? That's, I mean, that's, that's a great reminder of, of just what is out there and, and opportunities, I think, for students, even if they wouldn't have qualified for a scholarship coming out of high school, maybe they do now because mm-hmm. they've turned over a new leaf in college or they're finally, you know, inspired or challenged in a way that they haven't been before. Uh, so I think it's great, a great set of reminders and a reminder for all of our listeners that this is why you listen through the end of every getting in episode, because you always get great finance tips in the last segments and you got to be sure that you're here for those things. So mm-hmm. Lori, I want to thank you for, for coming on and for inviting a friend also, um, you know, behind you, if you, there you go. So if you're watching this on our Facebook page, you'll get a chance to see who Lori invited uh, to the conversation today, but thanks a lot for being here, Lori. Thank you, Ian. Happy to do it. Great. So uh, that brings us to the end of today's show. It's been a really, really great one, and I hope you've enjoyed it as well. Next week, Beth Heaton is going to be hosting the show again. We're going to invite Jen Simons to talk about women's colleges. So if you're interested in women's colleges, it's a great segment to tune in for. And we'll also be answering some listener questions, which you can always submit to us at gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. That's gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. In the meantime, I hope you're having a wonderful holiday season and get to spend it with your loved ones safely and as healthy as possible. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.